0: You're listening to The Quest for the is from Backlot Banter. Join us on a side quest as we watch all 10 Best Picture nominees and decide which one we think will take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Abram Buner, Tucker Hazel, and Tanner Dykstra. The episode gets started in just a moment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest, it's 2023, and it's time for the Oscar Best Picture nominees, baby. That's right, we're taking a break from the normal show to cover all 10 of the films that the Academy thinks are deserving of possibly winning the highest award in cinema, the Best Picture. So... Here on Backlot Banter, our brand new YouTube channel specifically for making movie content reviews. We do Quest here. If you're from our old channel, Backlog Banter, if you saw our community posts or uh, our messages in other videos, welcome. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Maybe even if you're feeling especially frisky, hit the like and the notification bell. And then... The final step, the coup de gras, is when you write oh a God. nice little comment down below. So, yeah. engagement. Welcome.
1: Fodder. When I write anything, yes.
0: You can just say what you a had for breakfast. A string of letters
2: and numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, I would appreciate some coded messages. If you could, I know oh. our fans are really lovely. Send me some coded messages, um, and I'll try to figure out what they say and re- and get sure, back to you. Yeah. Respond. I'll respond in a uh-huh. similarly coded
2: message. Use, maybe use a codex of sorts. Ooh, a <laughs> codex. figure. Yeah. All right, no, 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 Tucker. That was last that's year. Reference. Oh, we're in the, that's that's reference. we're in enough, the
0: new year, baby. Enough of all that nonsense. Let's talk about our first movie because we don't really have to do much housekeeping here. The old series doesn't matter for a couple of weeks. No,
2: our movie Took we're out in the talking back about behind today. the barn. <laughs> you heard the no, gun no, cocky. no,
0: no, not not that, not yet. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't do shoot, that.
2: We didn't kill it. We didn't no, kill no, it. It's, it's, it's eight more it's, episodes. It's gonna. It's changed. It's to gonna a pole. crawl its way back out of its grave and re- seek revenge on us. Okay, okay but what I'll, movie do we talk about that. What's
0: going on?
1: Everything, yeah, movie is it?
0: Everywhere, all at once. Directed by the Daniels. Huh. Um this movie came out earlier in the in 2022, premiered at South by Southwest here in Austin. I didn't get to go see it then, but um I did watch it for this review, and I'm really excited to talk what? about it. So who wants to leap in to the multiverse and try to give us a plot synopsis of this? Maybe confusing movie? Do you think it's confusing? I don't know. Can who like wants to uh, Who wants I to
1: feel take like
2: a... it, it has to be Tucker Hayes. Can I make a request
0: first? This
1: is a request.
0: Oh, okay. It's
1: a a request. Request for the bestest. A we request, request for the bestest. Can we start yeah. out these with what these films have been nominated for? Because obviously we can't do oh, sure. noms Absolutely. and wins, but just to contextualize the conversation, fresh off of these yeah. nominations.
2: Okay. <clears throat> yes, because they've only been nominated at this point, no wins thus far, but Everything Everywhere All at Once has been nominated for... Uh, has been nominated in 11 categories, the most of any film this Oscar season, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, uh, Best Score, uh, Best Original Song for This Is A Life by David Byrne and Mitski, Best Motion Picture of the Year, uh, Achievement in Directing for for Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, uh, Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role, Michelle Yeoh, Two supporting actress nominations. Count them: one, two, for Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Shu. Uh, a perf- best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Ke Kwan. Quan. Uh, achievement in costume design and achievement in film editing. Yeah. That close is... to everything it could have.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a lot of nominations.
2: That's Mr.
1: Far from Titanic.
0: Yeah, that's actually. Mm-hmm. I was, was going to ask Tanner, Mr. Fax Dykstra, is that the most? Of yes. the uh, uh, of all the nominees this year, did it get the most nominations today? Yes,
3: it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, it is. By well, two or three, I believe. Yeah. So
0: full I believe the follow up is we didn't yeah. know that this film would get so many nominations. We did predict it would be nominated for Best Picture, so we got to watch the film early, and then we're confirmed in our guests today that the Academy does think yeah. this film is is worthy, but we didn't know it would
2: h- receive all these nominations. So. Mm-hmm. There then, you have it. Now, without further ado, Tucker Hazel. Ah. What the hell is Everything Everywhere all, of, all at Once about?
3: Yeah, well, Timo proposed an interesting question. Is this movie confusing or not on a plot level, as he's asking me to give a plot synopsis? And I think that when you really break it down, it is an incredibly simple concept. The story follows um, Michelle Yeoh's character, Evelyn Wong, as she deals with the stresses of middle aged. Immigrant life. She ha- has struggles with her daughter, who is distanced from her, her uh, her husband, who's a little bit daffy sometimes and wants everything to be happy. Uh, but she's just stressed about her taxes and about running a laundromat. And the movie follows her story as she comes to find out that she has the ability to defend the entire multiverse through verse jumping and all these sci fi techniques that they teach to us across the course of the film, but it's the sci-fi multiverse part that is all glommed on to that core central narrative of an immigrant family and their family dynamics that is pretty simple on, on, a, on a base level. It's just family dynamics and how these characters treat one another, but it's splintered off into so many potentially confusing, but I think very well done and easy to follow when you once you know what you're looking for threads that are Shattered across every possible reality. Okay, but what is the plot of the movie? <laughs> that Evelyn Wong is dealing with the, her stress at, at home with the taxes and the laundromat, and she discovers that she can defend the multiverse and hopefully make sure that it doesn't all collapse within on itself. Well, there you go. Truly. You're right about that. Yeah. That, is, that is that what, the It's a one-sentence plot. Yeah. This is why. Well, how long is this... This screenplay, you think like five pages, maybe so Probably, like yeah. Where do we want to start? Where do we want to start with
2: this? A <gasps> yeah. Monster of a film. Oh, he's genius. <laughs> I'll
1: Imagine. go first.
3: How about starting it? the review with impressions? I'll go first. Yeah. Go for it.
1: Uh, so I watched. I watched the film in theaters, and I made a big. I made a big swing and proclamation uh, on Twitter shortly after, uh-huh. which was this might be my favorite movie of all time. Um, uh huh. It made me feel all sorts of ways. It was just such a delight, as a treasure almost. And so I was really excited to rewatch the film now uh, and sort of confirm that hypothesis, or maybe push back against it. And the truth is, I liked the movie a lot less when I rewatched it. To be honest with you, oh. I, and I'm, I don't, I don't know how unpopular I'm going to be on this review because I think that I think a couple things. First of all, we might as well just do one episode of this mini series and just stop because it's going to win Best Picture. I think, in my yeah. heart hearts. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that this is a remarkable achievement in filmmaking, made even more remarkable when you begin to discover how it was made, how the VFX were created, where, what software was used to edit it, what the timeline looked like in the editing bay, because I posted it to Twitter. It's, it's a really remarkable story in terms of its production, the meta-narrative around all of the people whose careers have been given a amazing resurgence because of this film – It's a remarkable Hollywood story and a remarkable bit of filmmaking. I found it on a rewatch to be overindulgent. I found it to be silly in a way that was getting a little grating. And for me, what really stuck out on the rewatch was everything around the zaniness. It was the performances. It was the heart of the film. It was the emotional undercurrent. And so I love where the film ends. And I think it has so much to say and it has so much heart. But I think it's it's doing this. It's like it's like maximalism. It's like, give me shit. He has stuff and it's happening and we're fighting and it's taking, we're doing mo- minutes long fight sequences with a butt plug in somebody, right? And for mm-hmm. me, I think it just sort of dilutes itself. So I still think this is a remarkable film, but I liked it a lot less than I did when I saw it in theaters.
0: All right, can I go right after Abram? Because he's using all these words Absolutely. that I just want to... Go for it. I think that this movie is maximalist in the extreme, it is totally, Yeah, I described it to myself after watching it as like a movie movie. I think everything, it's itself. as a Timo, I said, this is a movie movie. And I think that the way that it is just so extra in all of its regards, I think you make a fair point, Abram. Um, and I think my impression of the film is that that is all there. And yet I am on a first watch, like really sucked into it. I was totally noticing. I was like, "Yeah, this is silly and ridiculous, and like, there's this is goofy." But I yeah. found that to be very enjoyable. Goofy,
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. I think that yes. when I was watching it, I was able to somehow, like, like in the scenes where she's the the glass cracks and we see the two the mirror verses, um, I was able to to and just enjoy like the hilarity of what was happening on screen, but also really like the story and the heart of it. And find myself, I was always trying to like, I had kind of, I hadn't been spoiled. I really didn't know a lot about the film, even though I hadn't watched it for nearly a year after it came out. But the part yeah. of, of, it kind of it kind of all being about this, this family's moment of struggle, this divorce really, um, mm-hmm. I had kind of heard that it was about a divorce. And it's kind of about that, but it is really, I think, a lot more about this mother reconnecting with her daughter in a in a yes. in a way that I think is really well written, and I think makes like makes me want to cry when I'm watching it. And so yeah, I I can totally understand where you're coming from, Abram. And I think for me that it made it enjoyable because I was able to like <laughs> like guffaw my <laughs> like you know like my way through it while also trying to be yeah. uh, an analytical like educated film viewer. And I appreciate that, that mm-hmm. it lets me be dumb and silly and also, like, really have stuff to try to bite my teeth into.
2: Sure. Yeah. I'd like to go next. Go ahead. Because Everything Everywhere All at Once was a film that, when it came out, it took the world by storm. The movie loving world, uh, <laughs> it, it shot to the top of the letterbox top 250. And. Everyone I heard talk about it says it was it was so emotionally resonant for them, and I can't I can't personally uh, empathize with uh with, the, with that emotional resonance, but I can still appreciate the film's appreciate the film for everything that it does so well. And I brought up how this film shot to the top of the Letterbox 250, and I think that's an important thing to recognize because this film. Uh, perhaps more than any other, seems to be taking a page out of the book of the oh. internet. I think that's what the kids are calling it these days. Okay. Sure. So, All right. Um, we can, we, we've thrown the the word maximalism around. Uh, this film is obviously very. If I can throw some more isms at you here, so I can. <laughs> no, uh, this it. film is please, very. no not. No <laughs> no 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 not quite. Uh, this film is very much about the, you know, the sort of eternal battle of optimism versus nihilism or perhaps absurdism at a certain point. Oh, there's yeah. a whole other um, part of this a lot film
0: of... that it's about. Jesus.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a lot of uh, of of those philosophical viewpoints to be found in the film, some very clear sort of uh, written or visual sort of motifs that, that tie us back to... Uh, maybe like Albert Camus and uh, Sisyphus being happy about rolling that rock up the hill. Um, but outside of all of that, I just have to I, I look at the rest of the film. I'm like, especially when I was rewatching it the other night, I'm like, this film is just really solid from all aspects. Visual effects, editing, score sound, the performances, obviously, though I do have a bit of a hot take about one of the performances, but we'll get to it in due time, I'm uh-uh. sure. Uh-uh. Oh, um, but no, us. in short, I really, really loved Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, I, and I think, uh, I think I'm think i in the majority uh, with that opinion. <laughs>
3: yeah, you're well, also in the majority here because obviously we all like it to varying degrees as we'll talk about. Tucker but I, 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 say he hated I think... it and you'd
0: still be in the majority, Tanner. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: It's true. It's true. Well, I'm not going to say that. Because this uh, t- last time I watched, I finished it a, cu- a couple hours ago, was the fifth time that I'd seen everything, everywhere, all at once. I saw it twice in theaters. I watched it once when I got the Blu-ray. Thank you, Tanner. You got me out for my birthday uh, with, my, with my lovely girlfriend, Rachel Willis. Then I watched the movie a couple days ago with the director's commentary on, of which I learned a lot, a lot mm-hmm. about this movie. Maybe too much. Uh, and then <laughs> I watched all the behind-the-scenes for this movie, and then I watched it again without without the director's commentary, so I could like really nail in everything. Also, I watched a bunch of supplementary content, YouTube videos, analyses, reviews, reactions to the trailer, sort of things. Because so I think this is a really interesting movie to immerse yourself in. Because T- Tanner, you mentioned it drawing uh, inspiration from the internet age, and I think that what is so interesting about this movie is that for the first time in a long time, especially for films that are nominated for all these major awards, this feels like a modern film. This feels like what filmmaking can do with a fresh set of eyes on it. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner were filmmakers who grew up using YouTube, making music videos, making shorts with wacky editing, with a more absurdist YouTube sense of humor that we all grew up on. And that's not sort of that's not sort of thing that we've seen creep into films that are receiving these kind of awards ever. Because we're finally tipping into the age where people our age and a little bit older are making these awards bait films, but this is absolutely not, not awards bait. Traditionally this, this film, film would get nothing and it would exist on a YouTube channel somewhere and people this film like, premiered, that was funny that one time.
0: I don't believe any movie that it premieres at South by is a, is an awards bait film. South by love the fest, not, not the place that you want to start if you're trying to win hmm. this picture.
3: Yeah. But I think what really struck me on a rewatch and why I very specifically said that I was not going to be saying that I disliked this movie is that this movie, the more that I learned about it and the more that I thought about the ways in which its maximalism, sometimes to a distracting degree, or its goofiness, sometimes to a distracting degree, are used in really interesting and solidly written ways to support the incredibly varied and deep themes that this movie is going for. There's a lot to break down here philosophical stuff, relationship stuff, things about class, about race, about gender, and we're always talking about, hey, on Quest, we like talking about themes, and guess what? This movie takes elements from all of them, but fuses them into a core that I think is so rock solid that even when there's a butt plug joke or a dildo joke or a rock joke or, you know, take your pick, you got your snail jokes, you got your whatever, Mm -hmm. Uh, those all, in some way, throughout the multiverse, always funnel back to that core. And, and I think that maybe with some explanation of these themes and discussion, I think Abram, we might be able to sell you a little bit more on returning to you to that like incredible empathetic glory that you had when you watched it the first time because this is a film that not only shook my world on the first time I watched it, but the more that I've learned about it, the more respect and intrigue that I've gained of it. Because I think this is just what this is what the this is what film can be, finally. And I think that of course that's a little bit ridiculous. That's a that's uh. a hypothetical or a hyperbolic uh but i i really do i this is my second favorite film of all time so uh i'm here to defend it
1: i and i hope you can tucker because the daniels really need my support this award season (laughs) yeah it's true
2: god it's true they're They're the underdogs
0: i want to go i want to go visit mr Camus. let's talk about theme oh um okay which theme do we want to talk about for i think you know i think because the way that this film works and the way that I was, I was poking fun at you uh, for, for your explanation of the plot earlier, I think you're totally right. That hmm. the way that, that everything yeah. is so wrapped up in and in itself that it is a little bit difficult to really explain like what happens in the movie, because I feel like so much of it actually deals directly with what it's trying to say. I think this film is hmm. very clear in its message, at least in in some parts. I think that sure maybe it's a little difficult to understand what the uh what our divorce storyline is what is going on with that like what cuz it's hmm. it's i don't think it's hard to determine like reality or our home our home universe from all the other ones hmm. but i do think that the way that that one floats in and out of like the central focus can make it a little bit difficult to to really discern yeah. exactly like on on like a, a plot level what's going on but the way that that theme with the theme of the multiverse, which I really do think is this like optimism versus nihilism battle, basically. Like yeah. like they were like, okay, let's have our soldiers of soldiers of nothing versus our soldiers of everything, like duke it yeah. out here in this film. I think it's done really smartly. I think that not only are the philosophical viewpoints presented very well in an, in a, like a, accurate manner but also in a like using filmmaking elements to to demonstrate what these like like i think you could go in and cite in all you know i don't who's the is it nietzsche the nihilist tanner you know these things yeah okay nietzsche the nihilist we we could probably go in and and find passages from his work that apply directly to what characters say in this film and i appreciate that maybe and i also think that the way that the um it's all presented in a, in a like unself-serious manner, like in this like weird, like wacky sci-fi land makes philo- like philosophy, which can be a little too self-serious all the time. It makes it like digestible yeah. and entertaining, which is like the greatest thing a movie can it's do. Has maybe never been done before. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that, I think... That, that themes, those are really fun to explore and really well presented. Neighbor.
1: Yeah, I think it's funny to, to talk about a movie like this after watching Amadeus where, where Tennis is like, and so this is what he, 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 take, he goes, hmm, that's what the movie says about God and what it says about all these things and, and, and all, everything everywhere says like, man, you hit a guy with a dildo until his nose starts bleeding and, and that's, that's all you gotta know about the world. And uh-huh. I, I think there is something nice about that and now it's my turn to get a little um, pretentious for a moment here. There we go. We all the yeah, so I have started using the criterion channel. So already I'm smarter uh-huh. than half of the people in the audience, right? Cuz I'm using the criterion True. channel. Yes. And and I watched the other day uh Paprika which I watched and I went, I don't get it. Um <laughs> and so I I um I was Fair. watching this what do you do when you don't understand something? You you tell you let someone else tell you how you're supposed to feel about it, right? Mm-hmm, so exactly, yeah. I watched this obviously. I watch this YouTube. That's what quest is for. Yeah, I watch this YouTube video about surrealism in um in paprika, and just surrealism as just a like an intellectual notion, and I think to your point, Timo, about like potential confusion. Is it a confusing plot? What do to think to the divorce storyline? I think ultimately it doesn't really matter because hmm. the. When you really start start to think about what happens and everything ever all at once, you start it starts to get a little hazy. Like, okay, so what dimension are we in? How, why are we like what? Why can I phase shift here? I I, I don't know if I could give you like a point by point explanation of what happened, but mm-hmm. to return to Paprika, just as it doesn't matter in that film what this silly refrigerator man is up to, it doesn't really matter how you phase shift to do all this shit and. Everything Everywhere. Yeah. Because the film is just this big soup. And I, and I think you've got to decouple yourself from, from reason a little bit to, to get something out of it. What I like about yeah. Everything Everywhere is, Timo, contrary to what you're saying, I don't think the movie's messaging is clear at all. Because I think it has a million things to say. But not to its detriment. I almost view Everything Everywhere as being like inside my own head. Because in my yeah. head, nine million things are happening concurrently. And I'm living 14 different lives that I'm imagining for myself. And there's something cool about this movie that just feels like this like neural link of just synapses firing incorrectly and weirdly yeah. and being able to sort of trace through those in like a maze that has no finite start or or finish a, a lesson or an idea. And I think it's a movie yeah. with a lot of lessons and ideas about just how to live your life.
3: It's, yeah. Absolutely. You might yeah. even say
1: 12, 12 rules for for your life or something like that. <laughs> wouldn't you? No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Um
2: yeah uh i we're in agreement the the idea we just
0: use different words for it because i I really i do agree with what you say there the lessons for life to me are the themes sure
2: yeah abram brought up the nine million things going on in your head at once um and i want to connect that back to how tucker said this was a, a a film for the modern age like we've never really seen before and uh in i did a little bit of digging myself i'm not i'm not a man who's opposed to picking up a shovel and digging into an interview or two uh but the daniels were not shy about talking about like yeah this is really born out of how modern people exist in concurrence with the internet and how there are nine million things happening in front of your eyes at every turn and there's a wide multiverse even of things you can experience and witness and lives that you can you know sort of uh what's the word of, like vicariously live through yeah, yeah. there's like the uh, screenshots and, 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 of
0: twitter on reddit and the Twi- and the reddit on the twitter and the <laughs> 4chan on the reddit and the, uh-huh. you know that's like the multiverse web
2: yeah. sure <laughs> and and how they it? how they brought that sort of uh way of thinking into creating everything everywhere all at once Um, But also the feelings that that seems to have created in uh, older generations, like the generation that Evelyn and Wayman belong to, but also the generation that Joy belongs to. Uh, And I I do want to talk to, I I name-drop Albert Camus, or maybe it's Albert because he's French. Who cares? Freaking frogs, man. (laughs) I name-dropped him, and uh, we're we're all going to sound a bit pretentious here, but I'm going to open it up. The only thing I know Camus for is that he invented absurdism essentially and he has he has that line that's like uh we must imagine sisyphus happy which i think about quite a lot actually because sisyphus obviously the greek myth of the guy rolling up rolling the rock up the hill and how this is a a torture torturous for him he's been cursed with this for all eternity but camus said "Uh -uh uh what if sisyphus is us and that daily modernity uh is what gives life meaning Are you you understanding what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. I'm it. I want you to tie it to the movie. Oh, well, okay. (laughs) Uh, Once I tie it to the movie, the line line that everyone knows, it's been posted on Twitter a million times In another life, I would have loved doing taxes and laundry with you. Yeah. Wayman's whole character is he brings joy to the everyday mundanity that he's found himself Mm. in. And this is juxtaposed with Evelyn being, you know, wanting for. Uh, that thing that will take her to uh, a better life—to be a singer, a novelist, what have you—and yeah. uh, the ultimate lesson is: it is that the we're given the life that we are given, mm-hmm. and you you make the most of it. You you find the joy in it, like Waymond has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great. Does, it, does that make sense with what mm-hmm. I was yeah. saying? Yeah, it about the
3: yeah you it yeah, no, those okay, okay.
0: together very well.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh and i think it's very easy to tie those themes back to wayman and i think what's really interesting about the cast that we have here is that each of them brings something unique to the themes of this film and i think that the way that they influence one another and evolve across the course of the film supports each theme in very unique and interesting ways and i think it is the fact that we have so many themes which absolutely can be overwhelming but that feels a little more honest than than most films is i've got a lot of things going on in my head as as abram talked about i'm always worried about something i'm thinking about things i'm i'm thinking about the way that I impact people and, and the nature of perspective and all these fucking things that go on in my head. And mm-hmm. it, it drives me bonkers sometimes. But I I really feel like this film reflects that in a very real way in that, yeah, sometimes things are messy. And you can find the good in the mess. And even if you aren't the best at what you do, one of the core things that Evelyn learns is that she might be... Uh, the, the the line that Alpha Wayman says is that you have the potential to do everything because you're so bad or you have the potential to do anything because you're so bad at everything. And I think that mm-hmm. that is a really interesting, that is even tied back later when, she's, when, uh, when Evelyn is learning to fight like Waymond and that incredible sequence, like this is how I fight. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, but that like, there's always something to love. Even in a, in a universe, where a stupid, stupid universe, where we have hot dogs for fingers. We get mm-hmm. very good at using our feet. And it's these ridiculous concepts of hot dog fingers and playing a piano with your toes and training your pinky so you can flick a guy up in the air. All these things are ridiculous, but so creative that they make these really deep, heartfelt themes resonate with the characters, but with me on a personal level because I enjoy things being presented without a veneer of seriousness. I think that that silliness and creativity and thinking outside of the box, even when it goes maybe too far, is the strongest way to uh, to communicate thoughts and feelings and themes to other people and allow them to not feel bogged down by by everyone else. And the way that we learn about each of these characters throughout the movie, it really, it, each character hits me in a specific thematic way that I haven't really seen most films try to do. Because you talk about the themes of Wayman, you talk about the themes of Evelyn and the themes of Joy and Jobu Tpocky by by a you know tangent and then you know gong gong in there and, and deirdre bobearder like each of these characters brings some aspect of their own personality to what themes are and that's just that's just what life is people bring their own ideas to things and no one thinks the exact same way and the way that this film represents that i think just meshes so well with what i think the like ultimate concept of film can really be
0: mm-hmm. mm. Tucker. I mm. like this idea that you you've presented of that these characters kind of stand in for different thematic um big like I don't know thematic tent poles, I'll say women yeah. definitely is like this optimist character. He's he described as a fighter at one point in the film, and his way of fighting is. To just, just like not really let anything get him down, and just like to keep going, and to look, choose to find the good in everything. And Joy's character yeah. is the one who is like, you know, is is twice removed. This like kind of like aimless, like not really go know what's knows what's going on. Character whose role model was the same and has descended into yeah. this state of nothing matters nihilism. Like can't you know, I will admit, I am, like, a very anti-Nihilist. I really dislike that mode of thinking. I find it to make me very unhappy, and I find great joy. And I did, before watching this movie, in just, like, the everyday shit that happens. That's, like, it's fun, and there's always things... And so I came into this movie, like, basically already siding with the characters that would win. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, made me feel pretty good, but I think that the way that specifically the film solves this sci-fi battle between Jobu Tupaki and um, Evelyn is really solved by Evelyn and Joy connecting. And the stuff that Evelyn has learned in this journey comes back to the home universe, wherein Evelyn can be a mother and can be a compassionate figure who sees Joy and says to her, like, you... Feel the same stuff that I do. I'm a total sucker. I'm a total sucker for movies and TV in many ways. that talks about <laughs> that talks about feelings. I love it. Come on. Yeah. Let's have more yeah. talking about feelings You know, I think our society doesn't do such a great job about it. And so it's so I Don't know it's it gives me hope to see films like this that are very honest about how it is to live in today and also like, allow characters to have realistic feelings that then affect, in this case, a cool, fun, wacky, zany sci-fi story, but other, you know, in other cases can be very heartfelt and very grounded. Um, I think that the, yeah. this intermeshing of our like, nihilism, optimism with the family drama like, really succeeds in making a powerful story and a story that to me, like, like when all the messages were coming at me, they all just were like fitting into one big puzzle, and I just felt like I was seeing the whole picture as I watched the movie. I saw the picture as I watched the picture. Um, emotion motion picture, picture. yeah. For well, the
3: ages.
1: Abram, anything to add? Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to pivot to the script a little bit because I think that the script yeah, is a lot absolutely. of of um the heavy lifting for making these themes. I think seem legitimate. Because I think there's a sense to sort of write in a in a heady way sometimes, or or make make your characters become a mouthpiece for an idea. and i yeah. I think that everything I wrote is a good job of of avoiding that a little bit. I mean, usually, whatever film Twitter has to say makes me angry, or it makes me want to disassociate with whatever they're talking about. Um, yeah. But they, even film Twitter couldn't make me dislike the laundry and taxes line because I think that's a great sort of encapsulation. What the film does right on a writing level,
3: wherein Wayland doesn't... That's why they call it writing. Wayland just, like... No, that's... that's Wayland Butani is alien. You're thinking of Waymond. With an M. Waymond, sorry. Way- <laughs> Waymond,
1: <laughs> he doesn't really know how to express himself, ultimately. He's like, this. I would just like to do this with you. It's a very intimate yeah. line. It's, it's not a, a man... In an alternate universe, I'd be happy just living through the mundanity of life with you every day until we died. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of cinematic. I wouldn't have and, hit the same. Yeah, yeah. It's like a cinematic and iconic way to phrase that, but it feels like something yeah. I could hear somebody say. At the same yeah. time, the sort of like a genuine sense of emotion, I think, is showcased quite beautifully in the moment when we're sort of like, like, filmically built into this great. Moment of like emotional release wherein Evelyn tells Gone Gone that Becky is uh, Joy's girlfriend, and sort of film expectation which have would have you believe that they're going to all rejoice in this moment and the mother and daughter bond will be healed, the bond will be reforged. And Joy's like, "Go fuck yourself!" I can't believe you just did that. Mm -hmm. It's it's these are people trying to understand emotions that they can't quite comprehend. Much, yeah. much the same way the audience trying to comprehend the film. I think so. When we're in the in the parking lot, and the and Evelyn's like, "You're you're you're fat, and you got a tattoo, and I and I hate your girlfriend, or whatever she says." Uh-huh. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I I get it. You're you're leaving me space to intuit, and you're leaving me space to sit with these lines. And you're not just shoving shit at me, despite it being a film entirely predicated visually on showing me things." There's a lot of subtlety and I think authenticity of the ways that the characters speak and the things they say to each other.
3: Yeah. I think we can use this to transition a little bit unless, Tanner, did you have like something specific to um, your part of that?
2: Uh, kind of, yeah. I, I want to yeah. talk about... Um, in this about I'm going to read your mind Tanner, a little we bit We have all here. the time in the world. Uh, this Don't is, worry, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can... I, I
3: wanted to there mention... Are no rules. We can do whatever we want.
2: Evelyn's character arc. Through the yeah. film. And it, it ties into what Abram was saying about um, the the characters feeling real and sort of uh, the Daniels writing this film finding a way to subvert your expectations to what a more saccharine uh, moment might be. Yeah. I like her character arc in this because she goes from this point of obviously not understanding what's going on with the multiverse to, okay, uh, my daughter is in danger. I need to save her because I love my daughter. And that's a constant of the film. Evelyn loves her daughter and wants to save Joy. So uh, she gets to a point where she's finally fighting Jobu Topaki. She's sort of harnessed the powers of fracturing her consciousness across the multiverse. And we think we've gotten to this point in the film where like, this is it. This is this is where it turns. This is where we've drawn the line, delineating good and bad in this film. And Evelyn's got it. And then she says, Jobu Topaki, you're the reason why my daughter is sad. You're yeah. the reason why she's gay, even. Uh, and... And we're like, oh, she hasn't gotten it yet. We have we have more development for this character to do. Um, and I, I think I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is a very interestingly paced film. There's a number of times where you're like, oh, is this the ending? There's even a point in, in, in the middle of the film where they literally end the movie with credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it continues on. We have more time to spend with these characters and more time to let them grow. And of course, uh, it, it really happens a lot, especially even at the end. Where Evelyn has to reconcile and really understand Waymond's way of fighting, the yeah. empathy, the not even so much trying to understand how Joy feels, but literally just being there for her, being in that moment with her yeah. at that moment. Yeah, I like the part. Yeah. I like the part where Wayman says, "This is how I win." <laughs> <laughs> this uh, great line. Yeah. But, uh, uh- sorry. Go ahead, Tucker.
3: Yeah, uh... uh I, don't, Sorry. I, I, I honestly have no idea where I was going with that. Let's talk story. about
2: Evelyn. Let's talk about Michelle. Let's talk about Evelyn. Oh, She's yeah, the, obviously the Yeah, the, I think the, we, can, we can tie center. this
3: into the performances. That's not what I was going to say, but let's use the oh, same okay. transition and, and say... Let's say this is what I was going to say. Um, okay. Transitioning a little bit to the performances, I think that they are, aside, alongside the script, as Abram was talking about, part of the reason why so many of the mo- these moments are sold well. I think not only do we get some... Of the most passionate and genuine emotional sequences from each of these actors that I've I've seen in many movies, let alone having like three or have three great performances in one movie. But they also what do you what do you talking I love about? The, I love the three art. no three. <laughs> yeah, as well, you I was gonna say it. I was gonna say oh Gong Gong and Deirdre but no, that you know we know they're ancillary. Um, uh-huh. but. Oh, is that also they sell the sci-fi wackiness part of it in a really interesting way. And I think that, that that compounds on itself. They both support each other really well. And I really love how they portray showing other versions of characters in this movie. The way that we're introduced to it is that Waymond will like have go into a coma for like half a second, wake up, and then be able to do whatever the hell he wants. He's jumping yeah. over the laundry thing. He's he's doing dodge rolls on the floor. No, he's doing the when, fanny pack fight sequence, as we'll talk that about that scene on the TV. I had no clue where it was going. Good, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that the way that it's paced in revealing these things is also really excellent because we get that tease of him jumping around on the TV screen, which is great, and it's like portrayed like through their shoulders, and it zooms in. You see him cross multiple screens, which is like really fun editing and visually. But then the sequence in the elevator where. He dips down his head, pulls out the umbrella, zips it down, like swings it up in like a swirl pattern and then sort of proceeds to explain to Evelyn what's going on kind of halfway, not fully. She doesn't understand. It It's paced in such a way that we get pieces of these performances. It leans a little bit more heavily into them. And then once we're comfortable in the concept that Evelyn can be, uh, you know, the, this shy, scared, worried person that she was at the beginning, or she can be incredibly strong and fast, and she's learning that she has these abilities, or she can be in other universes where she is being uh, um, romantically emotional, or she's being uh, a a famous movie star, or whatever it is. the, The way that the movie builds these things is a really great cinematic language, because admittedly, I was more overwhelmed the first time I saw it, naturally, but as you learn more about this film and the way that they had to write these things and edit these things in order for them to work at all it's it's one of the most impressive feats of screenwriting and editing and acting combined to where when when uh evelyn is like slapped between dimensions that that's like four different shots in four different locations that they had to make seamlessly transition and it makes total sense and that's all sold by the performances of watching waymond hold his eyes and then look up like that and boom, he's Alpha Wayman. And you and you can tell from his mannerisms and Kiki Kwan's performance what's going on immediately without any confusion or hesitation. I think
0: that's a really uh, a really important point that the difference between these different multiversal versions, the multiversal versions, say that like six times really quickly. Yeah. Um they no. The performances carry it so much. You're so right. Like I, I, I'm totally bought in to the idea that these are kind of totally different people. When in reality, in the shot, you know, it's one actor, and they're just changing. Yeah. That is, I will admit, did not think about that while I was watching the film, really, because I was just invested in what was happening. And so to hear that is like, mm, it makes a lot of sense to me. What I think about yeah. all of these elements of the sci-fi and the multiverse is that because it the multiverse and the those sci-fi elements make just enough sense to me they make they're plausible by just enough that i am led through and can see all the wacky zany stuff as being a caught the like, being caused by our sci-fi nonsense and because the sci-fi nonsense yeah. is explained and seems to have rules and you know functions predictably except for when we throw in some new tool or some new method i can view the moment like when the film ends in the you know and it's like when the film ends in the middle i'm like okay but we're in another multiverse like we, we are somewhere else yeah. these things i may be seeing them and just taken like literally at face value on what am i watching on the, in this movie at this exact moment may be totally like you know, everywhere, as I shake my hands around, like, I think that because I've seen how all of this relates together, even if I couldn't really pinpoint exactly, you know, how we've got from one spot to another, I could just accept that this is how this film universe works, and therefore, crazy shit can happen all the time in which I'm like, oh, haha, yes, okay, I understand. Makes sense to me, Uh even though it doesn't make sense. I know where it's coming from.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because I don't think the movie makes any sense. But I don't think I think sometimes we need to decouple out like the, the like the bar for a movie being good to it making like mm-hmm. internal logical sense. Mm-hmm. Like like art doesn't need to be like have like a linear and, and like cogent internal logic to it because ultimately at a certain point I'm like how in the fuck does do you like like eat, like swallowing like a metal frog off of a shelf let you know that you are definitely going to become a sign spinner and then you're going to be able to like boomerang a, a riot shield around. Yeah, of course. But, but I'm not 15 and I've seen something other than cinema sins, so I don't care. And, yeah. and, and I think that at a certain point the film sort of stands as a rejection to the idea that we need to stop and explain what the gizmos and the gadgets do. All you need to know is Brother, there's a there's the mystery machine has been turned into the Nebuchadnezzar, and you've got a bunch of people in here hooked up to a fucking machine and they're <laughs> telling Evelyn what to do. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. It works
3: hmm. just Cassid's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Mystery machine. I, oh, Let's I think it works just
3: enough. And the more that you, again, as I have, watch the movie and learn about the, the creative process, there is a logic there. It's very hard mm. to put together. Sometimes it doesn't exactly work. But I think yeah. I'm watching it, I'm sold into the fact that the people who made this movie know it they they know how it works there is a backstory to these things there are scenes that are deleted and backstories that we don't never learn about that are in their minds when they're connecting th- th- things together and creating insane concepts but ones that are so visually clear and entertaining that someone like timo can watch this for the first time and that's what guess what we all watch this for the first time at one point uh and completely understand what's going on and it's it, the way that it portrays the multiverse through those wacky moments, are part of why I personally really love this movie. I was talking about goofiness, I was talking about creativity, and it's, a scene, it's the scenes where they have to do something ridiculous mm. to gain their power, that really, like, they sell the humor and the sci-fi concept, boom, like, X marks the spot. I, I I really love when <laughs> when you have to watch all the diverse jumpers from the Alphaverse uh, like, do their wacky things in the one yeah. <laughs> room in order to get whatever ability it is to fight Evelyn in that moment. And you see a guy humping a lamp. You see someone's thinking Ave Maria. Someone's scanning his butt on the printers. Like, these things are ridiculous. Each one in and of themselves is a joke. But we have learned that the more ridiculous something is, the more, the, the greater power that it has to slingshot you to somewhere else that we're very sold into, like, oh, no, actually, this could be kind of serious for her. Even though... We're watching a guy lick a uh, pillar in the background. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I just love that concept uh, that they that they come up with for this multiversal jumping, diverse jumping, uh, just because it serves itself. It's just a vehicle to have fun, weird stuff happen. And that's what this film is concerned with doing. It's concerned with being fun and weird, of course, but also hitting you in the feels at a certain point. Yeah. And if I can refocus us on the on the performances, boop, 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 boop. I, I want to reel us back in. I want to talk about Kihi Uh And I also need to get to my my performance hot. Better not be the same Washington. Um, OK, <laughs> I I love Kee Kwan. We've talked about how he can, you know, effortlessly effortlessly go between the Waymond we know and the alpha Waymond. Um, I really just want to shout out my favorite line reading from him. And it, it's a it's a point of like how just good at comedy he is in this film. It's the, you don't even see him on screen when he says it, but the delivery of, ah, what happened to my hand? <laughs> yeah. After he gave himself all the favorite cuts. That's my favorite, that's maybe one of my favorite uh, comedy line readings of the film.
3: What about the moment when they have to go out into the hall and he's like, just act natural. and goes, ah, ah, what's happening? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, like, no. Oh, my God. What's so going on? It's funny. Oh, my it's, God. It,
2: he's really great. And I'm so glad to see him. You know, get power back into Hollywood with such a fantastic yeah. role and powering into a best supporting actor mm-hmm. win presumably I, almost certainly I but my hot take oh sorry no, go ahead we go gotta talk about
3: Key Gwen. let him respond yeah okay sorry go first ahead first
2: of all
1: if you're one of the people that immediately after he won that golden globe and he had an amazing speech he said he should be short round again I hope, I hope something catches on fire in your house <laughs>
2: That's, 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 <laughs> Nothing that's, major, maybe like a, maybe just like a towel Or a house plant
1: A very small fire that leaves no Damage, just enough to uh-huh. spook you A little bit, that's what I want to have happen uh-huh. I Don't wish harm on anybody, just a little bit of a, of a, of a Nerve shaking a
2: Light property damage
1: But, but in all seriousness um, uh-huh. He is the heart of the movie To me
2: yeah. Yes.
1: The reason for me that everything every, all at, work, at once works is because of his performance 100% he, sh- he looms so large for me and what the films, not, not only to your point, talk about what he sort of becomes a vehicle for thematically, but just the sort of uh, authenticity he brings to his performance. This movie, to me, would be significantly worse if anybody else was, was, was him. You see your point about yep. line reading. When he, when he says, I think it's time for a family discussion as Gong Gong is about to shoot Joy, <laughs> I fucking crack up just thinking about it. <laughs> because he he brings this this like uh, like like luigi's mansion oh like wiggly fingers tippy toed running about places energy to the movie uh-huh. but i think it's really lovely but there's a real like power and resilience in, yeah. in him too and obviously he gets his moment to explain it as he talks about and yeah. his yeah. this is how i win speech which which i think is a very <laughs> <Cut the line. laughs> it is a very Still good though <laughs> it's a very good moment. But he is just this like consistent rock for me. The way you sort of see his dis- the way he emotes this sort of disappointment when Evelyn isn't there for him. Yeah. Throughout the movie, but his like his want to keep trying. Or yeah. or when he um or I love the moment after as the film is ending, she kisses him before when he's going to the bathroom.
3: Mm. That moment is that I think might for me might be the most romantic kiss I've ever seen on a film. When she leans in and kisses him, and then like wraps her arms around him like that, and then backs away and smiles a little bit. I know that feeling. That's how I feel when I kiss my girlfriend. And which, oh, ritualist, love my life. God rest his soul. You know, but that moment is sold so well by both of them. I agree. Yeah. I'm just saying I love
1: Keanu's <laughs> performance. All I'm saying. Well, i I will throw, I'll throw my
0: Endor- praise in there real quick. Because I think he is, like, so lovable in this film. Even when he is trying, at the beginning when he's trying to get the divorce, and-, and as later in the film we see that it's kind of misguided or whatever, um, when he comes around at the end, I just love him. I, I-, 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 yeah. I find him so endearing. And to-, to really, you're right, Abram, to be the heart of the film. So I really like his performance. Mm-hmm.
3: Tanner, what was that thematic line you wrote down earlier that you told to me? Something about goofiness or foolishness. Oh yes, Waymond teaches us not to conflate joyousness with
2: foolishness.
3: Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the thing that's most interesting about his character on like a writing level is in. There's a much better video about this on YouTube that I will link in the description. Than I can ever explain this, but is that Waymond doesn't have a character arc. He is static. From the beginning to the end he knows his way of thinking and he is committed to that and it isn't him who changes it's his impact on other people that changes them and honestly changes the audience the way that you view him at the beginning oh you know he's kind of just like the goofball sidebar character to becoming the serious emotional heart of the movie not only for the audience but for all the characters is incredibly powerful especially in the way that he is an example of positive masculinity I mean. He's an oppressively optimistic guy that uses empathy and kindness to change the world for the better, uh, but because he doesn't have a character arc, the film doesn't make the fact that he's positive and not aggressive seem like something that needs to be changed, because in so many movies, you'll see the, like, beta male, like, softer guy be, like, <laughs> co- come out, come into his own at the end, like Back to the Future, uh, where where um, Chris McGovern's character is kind of a wiener at the beginning, and then, like, Socks Biff in the face by the end. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to have that moment because we realize that he's right. And mm-hmm. then we come to understand his values that makes him such an important character thematically and writing wise. So he's this yeah. movie's Tyler Durden.
2: Anyway, uh, I, I briefly want to talk about because like, you, you said that you the have audience, a hot take. Uh, Are you going to ever audience, give us this hot I'll take? I'll get there, like, Timo. Oh my Calm God, It's it. been 50 minutes cool and I haven't heard this jets. hot take yet, dude. Cool your jets. It's just as hot as ever. It's hot and ready for you. Now, it's just one be second because uh, Tucker talked about it. how. <laughs> 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 we'll reheat it. The mic- yeah, we'll reheat the microwave. it. Tucker talked about how the. Uh, audience, you know, learns about well learns about Wayman's way of thinking and way of fighting, uh, and, and that's why he doesn't necessarily have a character arc. And of course, it's be also because uh, Evelyn learns these things, yeah. And uh, I, I did want to just circle back to Michelle Yeoh is fantastic in this. We talked about Kay Kwan, Michelle Yeoh is fantastic. She takes you through this entire film, the multiversal nonsense of it all. She's the anchor, she's the audience, in but my hot take we're finally here. It's still warm, <sighs> don't worry. I <laughs> don't think sorry, sorry. that Stephanie Shu is that good in this film. Mm, okay. I like her as Joy, but I'm not sold on the Jobu Topaki stuff. And it largely only comes in, and we can talk about this however much or little you guys want to, it only comes in when she's doing like the, the I'm a cocky villain, and I, I've seen all this before, and I'm not scared of you, and I'm so cool and chill about everything that's going on. Mm. I don't know. I I I just don't I just don't care for. it. And I'm she's a great performer. Like I said, I I enjoy her when she has joy. And in that final scene in the parking lot between her and Michelle is fantastic. They're both bringing it. But with that Jobu Tapaki stuff, the line readings are just not hitting me in the right place.
1: Hmm. I I I I don't even like I just, I don't like <laughs> Here's my feel. Here's Here's my Here's my, right. here's my feeling.
3: Do you, do you agree? I'm 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 smelling
1: agreement here. Like I don't even really get the point of Jojo Tepaki. I mean, let's let's back it up. I get it. I understand mm-hmm. Joe Tepaki. to a certain point, but I feel like largely she's not really a good antagonist. She's mm-hmm. more of an i she's more of an idea than a character, and and I think that's part of the that's issue true of performance. Yeah. Is that she really doesn't have anything to work with? I mean, she's hitting a she's. I think the moment of the most charisma is when she shows up in the hallway, um, yeah. and and does the does the conf- blows the eye up at a confetti and has a bottle of organic mm. ketchup and all this Ding. shit. Ding. <sighs> yeah, it's 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 cool, but then she just kind of fades away and she becomes, the, the idea of the ever, bagel with everything on it becomes far more important than Jobu Topaki. and like hmm. I, I I I just don't care ultimately I think that joy is the interesting part. And Jobu Topaki, yeah. it's, this, it's, this, it's this moment in the film wherein we were talking before about how um, Waymond or Evelyn, Alpha Waymond, Alpha Evelyn, are basically interchangeable and they flow and they intermingle and they are a, a difference of performance. Jobu Topaki is so separate from Joy for so much of the movie that I feel mm-hmm. like these are two characters, so I'm supposed to care about them separately, or they're supposed to mean sure. something more separately, but they really don't to me. They're, like, two yeah. sides of a coin, but you cut the coin in half, and you're keeping, like, the two sides now of the coin. Now there's
2: four sides of the coin. Oh, there's four sides of two coins. <laughs>
1: Holy shit. But, but that's, I guess that's my, so, Tanner, I agree with you on a performance level, but I think it's a deeper thing. Because yeah. I don't care about Jobu sure. Tupaki as anything more than a stand-in for what the movie is trying
0: to sort of
2: unravel. Yeah. Can she, I, Jobu uh, Tupaki is nihilism? Yeah, that's what, I, I was going to try to give my
0: whole explanation yeah. of it. If I were to explain it, I would say Jobu Tupaki is the nihilism within joy as the character. Because yeah, I, I could almost make this whole reading as, none of that n- multiversal nonsense is true at all. It's just this imagination and this m- method for this family to resolve this drama. And... Of course. I mean... It was all a dream. Who knows? I would, it's, it's better if it... The top, it, top still It's better if it isn't, okay? But, like, it could of course, be, huh? I think. And the film would still... Is it ever? Yeah, no, it's...
3: <laughs> Maybe Super Mario Bros. 3? I
0: think that what? the way... Or 2. <laughs> or wait. Let me speak. Never mind. Keep going. The, keep going. The, the way that... Jobu Tripaki is, like, this, like, basically just represents everything about nihilism. Makes it so that while she doesn't have, like, a character, she isn't a character because of this stuff that they've set her up being split across the billions and millions of multiverses. And so... Yeah. I think that the way in... Infinite, to be more specific. Sure. I mean, there are... Whatever. There are infinite multiverses. The... The way that Evelyn in the multiverse storyline has to connect Alphaverse. still with, well, it's, there's many multiverses, and whatever. You guys are
2: Invented, derail
0: speedrun any percent. Here we go. <laughs> when Evelyn has to connect with Jobu Tupaki by convincing her not to do the one thing that nihilism says to do once you've fully accepted it, the answer to nihilism is to kill yourself. Which is what it seemed to me like the path that Joy was leading down. That actually seemed like it was going to happen to be yeah. in the film, but of course, because it's a nice happy feel-good story. By the end of it, we get that moment of of literally pulling her out of the bagel, and while I think yeah. that in the lead up, to me, it serves more um, Joe Bujapaki as like this explainer character who gets that badass moment in the hallway scene, but then kind of. Shortly after it becomes clear that Evelyn isn't going to kill her because she still sees Jobu Tupaki as her daughter Joy, no matter like what is going on, and learns that this you know complicated backstory. That story like takes over for me, and um, I just I see her as an I don't see her as a villain because I don't think Evelyn sees her as a villain, and to me I, I, I kind of got it immediately when that that happened. I was like, Evelyn, in order to, to succeed cannot do much harm at all to Jobu Tupaki. She has to talk to her and, you know, get closer as two beings in the multiverse and in the real story to family members and people. And that is like the way to solve problems and issues and to overcome nihilism and to not kill yourself.
2: Yeah. Uh okay. I I I think we're Oh, sorry Tucker, did you have something to add
3: on that? Yeah, well, I I I okay. just wanted to Throw in my two cents on that because I sure. agree mostly with Timo. I think that her being a stand-in for these themes is the intention of that character and mm-hmm. it is in the more quote-unquote humanizing moments of Joe Butupaki's story that I think that she is a decent character but she's obviously not as great a character as the actual Wong family that we've gotten to mm-hmm. know and that we have character arcs across the film. But I think the fact that that Timo's right, there is this, there, obviously there's this nihilistic aspect to the character but we even get other ties in that her ridiculous backstory of being alpha joy who was pushed too far by her mother and Mm -hmm. her brain shattered and she's now like trying to figure out what reality can be and we get this conversation when they're rocks of the fact that every new scientific discovery makes us feel like smaller parts of the universe which is something that i'm sure we've all experienced of our own our own uselessness in the grand scheme of the cosmos these are gigantic themes but they all resonate down to why Joy feels disconnected from her mother in in the universe, the core universe, not the Alpha Verse, mm-hmm. is that her mother is pushing her too far, pushing her away, expecting too much out of her, expecting her to be a certain way. And Joe Tabaki represents that in the ridiculous sci-fi conceptual level and the backstory level. And but these things synergize in a such an interesting way that once the film is reaching that crescendo and it's getting a little bit harder to tell which. Uh, Joy is Jopo Tupaki, and which one, like, what's going on with Evelyn and her thoughts about each of these characters, I feel like there's there's a mesh there. They they connect right at, as the movie is reaching its crescendo, and I understand Evelyn's empathy for Jopo Tupaki's plight and the fact that she's not, as she says, she's not trying to, to destroy the universe, she's trying to destroy herself, and wants to find someone that can reach her on that level. Literally understand the concept of, like, the Omniverse, which only, as we find out in this movie, two people can do. She doesn't want to be alone. And that's what Joy wants. Mm-hmm. She wants her mother to understand her on, on a human personal level. And that's what Evelyn has to learn to do with Joe Butapaki by understanding the concept of the multiverse and, and exploring her backstory and listening to what she has to say. These are all things, like Timo was kind of alluding to, that can be easily represented by a conversation between two people at a laundromat is sitting down on a bed and having a conversation about the struggles that you have or that i feel like you're not giving me the time of day or or that you don't understand me on this level having that conversation can be done through story just normal human talking i've done it before i've talked to people but mm. the movie gives this gives it this operatic co- cosmic scale by introducing the like ostensibly the heat death of the multiverse as the villain. And I think that, that that personal side, being able to be blown up into something unimaginably, cosmically large, is an incredible strength of this movie. And it is only because we have such a ambiguous, wishy-washy villain that is able to conceptually encapsulate nihilism and the end of the universe and depression and all these crazy things.
2: Okay, we're over an hour here. And I, 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 I know we want to get to scores, but I have more things to talk about. Oh, believe well, it or not, well, well, you're, you're high on, you're high
1: on crackin' fucking cocaine, Tanner. If you think we're done another no this anytime mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: no we're way. not. Well, I thought we were. I thought we were wrapping up. But well, fellas, then allow me to just give us another talking point, if you Perfect. may. I think I wrapped um, it up
3: pretty nicely. I'm proud yeah, of that
2: moment. That was good. It should be. Um, thank you. Can you praise uh, me, please. You
0: did very well, Tucker.
4: <laughs> thank you.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> Now he won't cry himself to sleep tonight. Why uh, not? <laughs> probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is fine. Uh, I, I I I think that Harry, Harry Shum Jr., uh, who's the guy with the raccoon on his head, he's better. Whatever. So Doesn't matter. Um, it's weird to me that she's getting a supporting actress nomination, but to each their own. I want to talk about the editing in this and the direction, because sure. those go hand in hand, especially in this film. Yeah and it's you know obviously the showy stuff is there the the real at the oscars will be the of uh, fucking 150 different multiverses going by in 10 seconds um but i want to talk about the fights because this film as much as it is about wacky multiverses eating chapstick hot dog fingers and the feels Talking through the talking through these emotions, these grand themes of uh, of hopelessness of nihilism between you and your daughter, who you're disconnected from, it's also an action movie. Yeah, it's a lot of things. We said that up top, and I was really wowed by the action more on this rewatch than I was in the theater. Just like looking at how the Daniels. Uh, shoot these sequences. Lots of steady cam, lots of lots of cutting, but you know, you, you never lose the sense of where you are in the scene. Yeah. Lots of focusing on I just keep coming back to like the uh, when Alpha Wayman is like fighting and he he's got the like the a little folder of paper and he just whips it back and then we cut back to it. That's good sound, that's good editing, that's good direction. It it's all these things. And I'm like, these are pretty incredible. I also learned today that and this may be a shock to to two of you. The Daniels directed the Turn Down for What" music video. Huh? Really? And okay. it just it just it, it it it's another puzzle piece that I didn't know was missing from their directorial style. <laughs> is that it, is this sort of like this look and feel that the action has within a Daniels frame? Yeah, I um, I agree, Tanner.
0: I think that um, I'm
2: going to let you think for a moment,
0: not for too long
2: though. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he's, just, he's just playing. Turned down for what in his head? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I think that this film takes a lot of inspiration from Asian cinema, both in moments mm. like when we're in the the movie Starverse. God it feels like a Wong Kar Wai yeah. movie. Just like it's like mm. such right. quotations from that. I think that the Kung Fu-esque combat that is prevalent throughout the whole. I mean, there's like a couple silly moments with with some other like fighting styles that we get to learn about. The film tells us what how these characters are going to fight each other. But I think that the way that this choreography is so intricate, it's so planned Mm. out, and and as you said, it's so clear in how we see it, because it's so intricate and you know, they're not hiding messy punches or whatever. These they're all like really
3: doing the work here. And Choreographed by a uh, choreography a fight choreography YouTube channel group of guys who oh, cool. each of them play the, some some of the fighter characters. There's the bald guy, there's the guy who tried to stick the butt plug up his ass. Those are those are YouTube choreographer guys oh. turned mm-hmm. chore- movie choreographers slash turned actors slash turned fighting uh, Michelle Yeoh in this movie. People, which is really <laughs> cool that they yeah. like were able to pull these guys out and. Some of the some of the best fight choreography I've ever seen. I think it's very good.
0: I don't know if it's like the best I've ever seen, but the way that it works so well with the story makes it very entertaining to watch. The butt plug fight scene. Yeah. God, there's a lot of sexual imagery in this, in this movie. I think many undergraduates in years to come will have to write thesis papers about all the different anuses and vaginas and stuff like that that show up in this movie. I think that that's going to have to be there. And penises too. Don't forget about them.
2: But... BDSM gear Like plenty. This, this film
0: is horny, but in a weirdly asexual manner.
3: Of course, yeah. The fight
0: scenes utilize the zaniness of the film that we get through this sci-fi nonsense to make it more entertaining and make the situations wackier and to make this choreography even more creative because there's weird added elements that wouldn't, wouldn't make any, you know, yeah. would have no way to exist in, a, in a, any other film. So I really liked it. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i i i've got a lot of sort of intersecting thoughts about the the action because i think the action is for me the worst part of the movie um but not yeah. not on a technical level because i think technically it's it's actually very good um for, for a number of reasons the first is that it takes a book out of um a horror pervert turned sci-fi director lee wenell who made upgrade <laughs> Um, which is a very good
2: movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it is very, like, steady cam tracking across the hits and stuff like that, like, like, upgrade. Yeah, it's,
1: it's the idea that you're you're shooting, you're shooting this sort of, sort of high frame rate confidently and clearly choreographed action where then the camera becomes sort of part of a motion. So we see mm-hmm. a steady camera move suddenly to be a steady camera somewhere else. And I think that's a really effective way to communicate sort of, like, the kinetic impact of action without making uh, to to shit on the producers of this movie a Russo brothers style action sequence. <laughs> so, so I I think that the action is technically very very impressive and this isn't this this uh, this is most clear in a in a moment that isn't an action moment but I would mention it anyway. This move this film tr- moves between aspect ratios really well I think so uh, interestingly yeah. There's there's a great moment when we go into alpha. Evelyn and she's on stage and we sort of see as though a performance is beginning the the, the um almost as though the crowd is getting quieter the aspect ratio changed twice yeah mm-hmm. really deliberate Evelyn but I'll, I'll let It's all, it's all the same <laughs> I, and I, I think that's a really effective moment of just like making the change in aspect ratios which I usually find to be very annoying in movies to be quite yeah. deliberate yeah. Sidebar: bar. I decided to forget that this is where I, this is where we get to my big point of contention with the movie. I okay. I I I don't like a lot of the conceptual action on a conceptual level, not on an execution level. Okay. I, I think about first of all the butt plug sequence is, is a pretty clear negative against the film for me, or and it's sort of indicative of of why I think I like the movie a lot less. And it actually begins with the uh, the woman who fights with her dog. On the leash. Yeah. To me, and this is where, again, my, my distinction at the beginning of the review being like my objective feeling this is going, this is the film of the year, but subjectively I liked it a lot less. To me, that joke is funny for about three seconds. Yeah. Mm. But the film is very, very overindulgent whenever it has an idea. Things just go mm. on and on and on and on. That butt plug action sequence is very long. There's a second yeah. guy that has a second butt plug up his ass. And, mm-hmm. and at a certain point, for me, sometimes you overexpose sure. a joke or an idea. Second butt plug. Right. As, as soon as you get the two butt plugs, I'm out. Yeah. But One? But, but, but I just think that for me, sometimes they, they're overexposing their own jokes because they know that they are technically impressive filmmakers. But I, I start to lose it a little bit. I'm like, I, I don't... Mm. The hibachi, great concept for using... Same with the sign spinning... Great concept Mm -hmm. for using non-violent occupations in a violent manner. But how long do I really need to see you, like, cut this, like, throw the dog in the fridge and then cut the rope and have the dog fly? And then do we need to walk out here and then the guy with the pipe shows up? And then we fight the guy with the pipe. And then I've got the pipe and I hit him in the head with his pipe. But then we can't even leave the room yet because then the guy has to jump over the cubicle with his ass cheeks spread to land on the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really something that happens in the movie and it feels weird to explain it. But there's a sense to me of fatigue. I, I think these action sequences become very fatiguing. And even like the the BDSM cave. Great idea. Mm-hmm. Coming out of there with the sand spinning, I like it. The camera moves in very fast, ways in that sequence. But it's too much. I just get tired of it. I think that a lot of these sort of stylistic moves become tiring. And to think about Paprika again for a second, part of why I like that movie so much is because there's long sequences wherein these sort of otherworldly dream shit is not present or it's present subtly. But in everything everywhere, it's a long action sequence with this one sexual innuendo and then it's right into another action sequence. Or we're jumping in between eight million images. And there's a yeah. real sense of spectacle and maximalist like skill there. But for me, I think this there's a better movie this movie, there's a better version of this movie that has 70% as much. Going on as this one does that that is better where the images mean more because to me at a certain point the butt plug stuff becomes meaningless and your butt plug should never be meaningless so
2: that's I agree Abram I think that's one of uh. my yearbook <laughs> quote <laughs> I would say Daniels don't be cowards release the uncensored cut <laughs> let me I see... I need to see that, that guy's ass <laughs> let me see that fight choreo YouTuber's ass
0: you know I think. If I were to guess how this movie was made, that might be a little impossible. They might have to do some CGI, but uh, butthole in there. Um, may- <laughs> Tanner, I don't think he had actually snuck that. Up there. Yeah, except for the except for the he shot where he pulls collision. it out, yeah. where they where it gets pulled out, that totally up his ass.
3: Well,
0: Abram, I, I kind of agree that. with you. I think that yeah, those fight scenes do get fatiguing and last a little long. I'm not sure if seventy percent is what the number I would give, but there there are points where it's like. Okay, like I understand, I get the joke. Let's let's move on. Yeah. So, I can see where you're coming from with that. I found myself just giving up, giving up or giving into it, and being like, okay, we're gonna watch this wet. Like, okay, this is gonna go on for a little while. I'm now watching an action sequence. Was usually what I would. Yeah. My brain would like my mode of film watching would shift. I'd be like, okay, we're. I'm like not watching this for the drama and the themes and the story. I'm watching this for some kick ass.
3: Yeah, I, I think Don't that I, I, I'm much more on the side of Tanner for this, uh, with the action. It's not my favorite part of the movie. I think that the that the themes and the concepts and the characters and the performances and, and all the technical stuff is absolutely why I'm watching this movie. But I think that the energy and creativity of these fight sequences is what helps make this movie so digestible to a modern audience that is used to having a lot of fight sequences in their blockbuster movies. Uh, but this is done, I think, a lot more intentionally than so many of those movies, because you're right about the editing and the camera work feeling incredibly intentional there's not any shaky cam which can make it try to feel like a little more sloppy it's just very set deliberate everything was so clearly panned out and needs to be because of the different locations and different concepts that they need to fold into this and it's that as you said i know you don't disagree but like the technical side of it that makes me know why they needed to do this or thought it was necessary to include this in the movie and what this film does better than I think almost any other and why I would lean on it being one of my favorite choreographed fights in films of all time is that no fi- no fight is the same because of how much variety this multiverse mm-hmm. and verse jumping concept brings to it. The fight that she's using her pinkies is nothing like the fight where she's using the sign. is nothing like the fight where Waymond is using the fucking fanny pack. That scene is so oh, funny. Oh my God. So, but each of great. these is conceptually different and edited different and and played out different because... They're using different weapons that I've never seen used in film before. And so anytime they're bringing up a new one, I'm like, okay, they earned making this. They came up with this idea. They edited it. They, choreo- they choreographed it. They they add all these sound effects. And if it is long, I, I would certainly agree in some sections, but I think the way that those are also intercut with other universes that aren't fighting. And the film can so confidently switch between filmmaking styles where it's Ripping on a Kung Fu movie, and then it's ripping on a, a one Car Wai movie, or it's ripping on a Western, or it's ripping on a sci-fi or a horror movie or whatever. It jumps between these. And because it's so everywhere, everything everywhere, it's so jumping all over the place. I I never feel like I'm in one place for long enough for me to feel fatigued because you're watching a fight sequence with between, you know, Evelyn and Joe Bachubaki, whatever it is, and then you cut to the universe where She's both a martial artist and a famous actress who was on the red carpet of Crazy Rich Asians, which is kind of funny. Um, mm-hmm. And then that is 30 seconds of a breath of fresh air. Okay, we can learn some themes. We can get this cool Wong Kar Wai, like, you know, high frame rate, slow-mo stuff. We can get the moody lighting. We can get this different version of Waymond. And then I think in very intentionally done and well-done transitions, snap back, boom, to the fight. And But it's... Something a little different this time, and they're they're always trying to, over like outdo themselves with each sequence, and it works so well,
2: for me. I see you, Timo, singing that Eminem song. I see you. Did I say a <laughs> Eminem yeah, line? You said you said you said snap back to reality, and then yeah, we it popped in my head too. It's okay. Uh, it was good fun. Uh, speaking of, I love the inclusion of absolutely. Uh, in this film, it's never really drawn attention to, but real like. 90s and 2000s pop rock fans like yours truly are like i love it every time it pops up okay uh i want to talk about vfx next um yeah because uh this film was not nominated for crazy in
3: fact it wasn't even shortlisted
2: was not even shortlisted disqualified uh by the academy well not disqualified but like disqualified for even being in contention for the award they they didn't even consider it in like a list of 10 or 15 or however however long it was and I think that's a load of BS, personally, because, sure, they're not perfect. There's some there's some moments where I'm like, OK, that's not great. Like when the weapon is switching a bunch of times in Joe Tupaki's hand or when Evelyn turns into a big rock in in the laundromat. and like, it's not perfect. But at the same time, the Academy nominated Black Panther <laughs> Wakanda forever for best visual effects. <laughs> And I just have to—you just have to recognize how big was the VFX team for this? Five, seven people, something like that. Certainly, yeah. certainly, they not all the were very they million
0: were... child slaves
2: that made yeah. them Marvel. <laughs> it's the VFX. Exactly my point. The Daniels took a picture with these guys. They were all in like an editing bay together. The Daniels were there. They weighed in on this. They probably know all of those people personally. Of course. Whereas. The MC Marvel, and Disney are notorious at this point for exploiting their VFX workers, having a farm of them, and underpaying them. Black Panther: Wakanda Forever has four times the budget of this film, and it probably has just as many moments where I'm like, "Ooh, that is a notably and memorably bad moment of CGI." I had none. So I, I, I called BS any. on this. I
0: didn't notice when you. I was like, I was like, Tanner. You're chiefing it, man, because I didn't notice any <laughs> parts that were bad. Like, oh, yeah. may, may, maybe on a, on a rewatch, I'll notice them because I'm going to be paying more attention to these other. And the aspects. by
2: and large, they're fantastic. It, the VFX are fantastic, and here in this is, by and large. And I think
0: uh, this movie, strangely, actually compares a lot to another movie that I watched recently from almost 100 years ago 1927 Fritz Lang Metropolis. These really? movies are similar in a lot of ways. Tucker you mentioned the Internet. You mentioned that how this movie, I think, really is this new, modern mode of filmmaking in regards to this advent, this new technology, this new social order, the Internet. It's got VFX yeah. everywhere in so many shots. That's what's really impressive to me about this film is how just how prevalent, all over the place. I bet you, like, 70, 80 percent of these shots have some VFX in them, which is a yeah. lot. I would really be surprised if even these MCU movies hit that Amount of just like VFX saturation, and the reason I make the I comparison,
2: um, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> I think the pro- I think it's probably okay, higher. Okay, whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. I think that. Clearly, you didn't see Shang Chi in the Legend. <laughs> <film. laughs> please. Continue? I am not
0: also a, a a a religious MCU viewer, but I am a religious um, silent German film viewer, and so Metropolis. <laughs> has many of these similar elements. And just like the VFX is everywhere in Metropolis, in everything, everywhere, all at once, I think that this, like, it it is kind of revolutionary. It is kind of this new thing where we see VFX used for almost expressionist, hyperbolic kind of moments. You see Jobu Topaki, Jobu Topaki's fingernails like change color very rapidly Mm -hmm, in one scene. Very cool And it's like, you know, that doesn't like need to be there, but it just adds so much to our understanding of who these characters are and really like is a major piece of the lang- the, the cinematic language puzzle. Yeah. Very much the same as in Metropolis. I just, re- I don't know why I watched both those movies. And I'm like, interesting these movies really yeah. fit together. Metropolis, a lot about the changing <laughs> society and the advent of early industrial capitalism, yada, yada, yada. It's kind of boring, but
2: Yeah. Uh, I', well, I, I I'll go ahead t- go yeah, ahead. Abel. I want to
1: talk about the effects for a second because I yeah. am I, I think here's what I think. I think they're very good. Finally. Oh, what, what I think makes the film so visually effective is that it is often there's often a very clear anchor to something real in a scene, in a moment or whatever. The fingernail example for the fingernail example, for example. Uh yeah. that's her that's that's her hand right and we're just we're we're futzing with the fingernails right you you think about a lot of these marvel sequences wherein the entire thing was made in a computer and you're yeah. like I can't I can't identify a single pixel on this big pi- this big flat piece of fucking glass <laughs> I'm looking at that is that uh-huh. was actually there when it was being filmed and, and so I, I think the fact that this is a fairly quote unquote low sci-fi in terms of the environments, that yeah. helps make any sort of incongruencies with with the effects a little bit less noticeable. Because I feel like I'm in an actual place, and, yeah. and I and I think that sort of that sort of we're in an office building or we're we're in a lounge or we're in the, we're hanging yeah. out with the IRS like
0: that fair place to go.
1: that sort of anchors me to something to to where the wackiness is just like a patina over that. It's I'm not supposed to believe that I'm. I'm done supposed to believe that I'm on a fucking aircraft carrier and the Navi are climbing up the side of it and we're fighting on it or whatever happens and Mm -hmm. kind of forever. But I also want to say this. I don't think that these effects are remarkable for any reason other than how they were made. Now that might sound a little bit silly because like, yeah, the fact that they were made under impressive circumstances makes them impressive. And that is true. But ultimately, what I mean to express is that I think a lot of the success of this film is, as we were mentioning in the beginning of the review, the success of the story around it. Like, like, the reason that a lot of people are outraged about the VFX not getting in is because it is those seven people. Because everything, everywhere, all at once is a story about these actors and these talents and everybody coming together to make something that seems unbelievable. Like. Yeah. So intrinsically, I think they are more interesting. The, the ways the visual effects were conceptualized and created is more interesting than what Marvel did. And I mm-hmm. think also, pound for pound, probably better, but I'm not usually impressed by visual effects that much. I'm impressed yeah. by the story. And I think... Or Jungle Cruise. I love Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I think that the story of the production and mythos of everything everywhere is going to push a lot of support for this movie.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. it is the fact you're right the tying it down to reality is absolutely why this film works and why the uh, visual effects for me feel so well integrated is th- there are moments where that where joy and evelyn are fighting across 30 different multiverses and they're every punch and block is shifting to another place and, uh, and it's just the lighting and these people and then a green screen behind them but it's because you're focused on the people and not the background that that moment is sold and i think that what is so impressive about this movie is that they're combined with some. Oh God, he's got a plan. He's working on something. You didn't uh, notice but, I pulled
0: a book off let, myself. Let I I've got a big plan.
3: Uh-huh. Is oh is that this movie also has some of the for a low budget for this very passionate creative team, some of the best production design and costume design that I and makeup and hairstyling that I've ever seen. Again, for this kind of movie, and I think that when you're looking at this office building and you know as I do because I watched all the behind the scenes special effects and I listened to the director's commentary that this IRS office building that they're in is actually a mall and they built all those cubicles and the cubicles in the very far back actually just have little pieces of cardboard taped up because you don't need an actual computer all the way back there and they turned side rooms in this mall into like entire other universes just through production design and Jobu Tabaki has like actually 30 different costumes just that are sometimes 10 in one scene that are mm-hmm. all incredibly distinct, and some of the most impressively designed, conceptually costumes I've ever seen. That is what really sells this movie. Is that yes, it's touched up with these special effects in many, many shots. But on face value, in on the craft level, they made a lot of this stuff. They made a little uh, like blow up pinky finger that they put in front of the screen, and go swing, and then the muscle flexes out. Each of these <laughs> things are because of the actual craft. Of course, the VFX is, is a craft as well, but mm-hmm. those are all intertwined and, and on on such a high bar of quality that I'm just consistently impressed throughout. Especially again, once you learn the the backstory of this, it becomes even more impressive. I, uh
2: yeah, Tucker, thank you for bringing up the production design because honestly, I wouldn't have been mad about a production design nomination for yeah, this man. either. because uh, I think uh, cuz once you told me that it like basically it was all done in this mall that they converted them like that's awesome. Thank yeah. you for bringing up the costumes as well. Obviously, there's the showy Jobu Topaki costumes. There's probably dozens of those. Um, but also, I think a sign of a good costume is I can close my eyes and tell you what Evelyn Wong or Waymond Wong or Deidre is wearing. Yeah. It's just distinctive uh, looks for all of these characters. Helpful that and, it's and contemporary. And it's great. But yeah,
0: you're totally right.
2: Well, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, and... Uh, the the last of the noms that I want to bring up and I don't have anything in depth to say about this is especially on the rewatch again I love the score of this film Yeah, the score is really the cool the score was yeah. I love what clued cool. me into it being a Daniel's movie when I heard it I
0: was like this yeah. I was like this sounds like Swiss
3: Army See, man I I watched Swiss Army man like f- 5 years ago and it was a gra- that was a great experience mm-hmm. Timo, wasn't yeah. it yeah.
2: god because because you know, Swiss Army man incorporates these like Uh, these very human sort of vocals into the score whereas this is very like experimental discordant a lot of the time I think it also has
0: those human vocals in moments
2: yeah of course it can also be very heartfelt in the moments where the film is being heartfelt emotional allowing our characters to express their true feelings towards one another It, it, it swings between these two feelings just as easily as the rest of the film does and I was at numerous points blown away of like This music is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's beast.
0: Okay, in the realm, it's beast. In the realm of waves that move through the air, I would like to Uh quote from my book here uh, called "Film Sound." It's about sound. Timo Sound Corner. I won't go on forever. It's only a sentence. I promise it's not very long. This is encapsulates pretty much my entire feeling about the sound design in this film. A little disappointed it didn't get nominated, but I can kind of almost understand why, because. I'm going to quote from V.I. Pudovkin, the Soviet thinker from long ago. The role, quote, the role which sound is to play in the film is much more significant than a slavish imitation of naturalism on these lines. The first function of sound is to augment the potential expressiveness of the film's content. And I think that is exactly what the f- sound in this film does. It's yeah. not natural at all there are there's random swooshes and dings and stuff that like maybe is coming from the real world like it could be but we don't like see it and there's i think there are so many elements like the hot dog fingers are just like they just sound so fucking gross like they're like you know like slapping on each other and like that's disgusting and that sells so much of the film i think the sound design while it's only noticeable i think in like really heightened moments it's totally there to be this like asynchronous like bonus it's that you can always yeah. like tune in and notice i did listen to the film half on speakers and half on headphones and i'm kind of bummed about my headphone listening my roommates were trying to sleep so i couldn't be on the speakers it sounded way better on my home theater my home speaker setup not quite a theater but the headphones I i was starting to hear um Some ADR lines, some like Mm. sound effects that weren't really like fitting in as well. But on the speakers, man, it sounded great. So I don't know. You're not supposed to listen to movies on headphones like for real. You really ought to listen to them on speakers. That's how they're designed. So I'm not really making that a fault. So uh, those are my opinions on the sound of this film. It's it's good. And uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the Academy has nominated in other categories in first or what other films the Academy has nominated for sound to kind of think about how they compare and try to figure out what they were thinking with these nominations.
1: Sure, I, I will say on, on my uh, cheap Black Friday 4K TCL television, it sounded very good. Uh, <laughs> and there's a particular sound design moment I want to highlight to, add to a point about Vla, Vla, S, S, S.I. Pudovkin Budovkin said the word augment. And, and I think a great example of that is when um, Wayman is trying to give himself paper cuts the final paper cut has this great, um, like, cinematic flourish, but it also has the sound as though you're unsheathing a samurai sword, and I think yeah. it's just, it's a great it's a great moment to what you're saying, Timo, about stretching the experience from just this base level existence of a paper cut to he's a bushido and he's he's about to go to battle, right? And yeah. I and I think mm-hmm. that's very cool. I just want to shout that moment out.
0: Probably yeah. I I credit the Daniels on on really driving this inspiration. I bet they they really yeah. talked to the sound crew that um that worked on it. I was confused when I watched this film. Like I was trying to read the credits to find out who did the sound. And I thought I only read like for some reason the most of the post sound crew was like way down at the bottom of the credits. But like a couple of them were up in like the middle. And so there was like three of them and I was like, what? Three people did the sound in this movie? And then um come <laughs> to find out. No, it's like eight or whatever, which is like totally normal. So Yeah. Congrats on a note an accomplishment. I also want to, a to note it, uh, <laughs> Bushido
1: is neither the warrior nor the sword. And I thought it was one or, one or the other, it is neither. It is act- okay. it is actually Isn't
0: it like the the, be- the state of being or the mindset?
1: Bushido is a moral code concerning samurai attitudes, behavior, and lifestyle.
4: Hmm.
2: So there's a little fun fun word lesson for the day. And Timo, uh, you're in luck. I I had to look it up quick, but four of the best picture nominees have been nominated in yeah. sound. So you'll you'll get to compare Uh, and unfortunately, the Academy did not nominate the Batman for Best Picture, so that's (sighs) the one. But we did do
0: a review of it,
3: and uh, I did really
0: love the sound in that movie.
3: Yes. Great sound, great sound. Uh, I think that what you were talking about, Timo, with the fact that this does feel very designed and intentional by the Daniels is what sort of ties this film all home for me. We're talking about these mm -hmm. crafts, these themes, these characters, but is that this feels to me like one of the most directed movies I've ever seen. This is one of the most personal creative visions that that I've ever seen put to screen because it does, and, and uh, again, as you learn, if you learn about the back the b- behind-the-scenes shenanigans, they were involved with the editing, they were obviously involved with the writing, they were on set, they, they helped design the, the, the special effects. Were they were on set? Oh my God. Holy All God. Right, you know, I don't need your sass. But they were so heavily involved with each of these elements and built such personal connections to each of the members of their creative team that... I, I easily think that there this is the best directed movie of the year. Because when I'm looking for direction, I'm thinking what reflects the mind state and personality of the person driving this creative endeavor. And the Daniels are on a creative vision, unlike anyone else working at this level, because they pull their inspiration from their YouTube background, from making music videos, from the internet experience that so many of the other creators that are nominated for these kind of awards Never had the chance to like grow up and experience, and they're the reason this movie feels so modern. Is they can handle the idea of a multiverse because they were raised on on the Matrix and they were raised on, on watching all these superhero on cartoons Jet and Lee's reading comics and stuff. True, <laughs> sure, sure, yes. But the, and they wear their inspirations on their sleeve, which is something I have a huge amount of respect for this movie for mm-hmm. is making a racket, ratatouille reference which is a movie we've all seen probably multiple times, a movie I assume we all really like. I think really it's like. raccoon, though. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I mean, raccoonie. my bad. Yeah. But the yeah. fact that they can sell a joke like that, that feels very fresh and modern, that we grew up with, that we recognize as being modern, and they're not afraid to like hide it behind six layers of bullshit, th- that's something that also, I think, feels very distinct, is they know what they were inspired by, and they know that you know that. And I think there's a real honesty there that Connects me much more to their creative vision than many many other people that I can't quite. I feel a little bit of disconnect from, but I feel like I can drill into their creative process and their mental state just by watching this film and and learning about the choices that they made to create this film in all of its like ridiculously intricate glory, which I think is especially sold. And I'm just very quickly, the editing of this movie, I I honestly might say that for me. This is the most impressive use of match cuts I've ever seen because everything's a fucking match cut and they're match cutting 20 times in one second in order to like make an incredibly smooth motion that also conveys the concept of this multiverse, but then also includes, you know, like different backgrounds and different costumes and different lighting. Like the editing, I, I think this should win editing. It was just more likely now that Top Gun Maverick didn't get nominated for cinematography. Um, it's the
1: horse shit, by the way,
3: which is ridiculous, which is crazy. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it in time. <laughs> um, but I, the editing and their direction, I think, are the two of the strongest aspects of this film. Again, in a film that I think is at the top of its craft and its technical and its themes and its characters in every category, as we've talked about.
2: Tucker, thank you for basically encapsulating my thoughts on the Daniels and that that's process job. of direction. Yeah, uh, I don't in know in how much film. more I have. add. we said it. Really, something incredible. We've gone. Maybe the longest we've ever gone on a quest episode on this. I one. think
0: Maybe.
2: we had to. That's what we had to. Shall
0: we wrap it up? Yeah. Shall we give it a score?
2: You can't see it, but the, people are off screen for all of us, pointing guns at our head. Uh, talk about this there. for longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Both I the Daniels, Don't forget the Michelle, production design. I could talk Michelle, about Michelle and Kay Quan are all yeah. here.
0: Shall we? Uh, shall we punch some numbers in? <sighs> I
2: got a. I think so. I got. I got. I got to pull up that
0: funky sheet. We got a new sheet. Oh, it's we it's got a, fresh.
3: Oh, wait. There's not a... Uh, Tanner? A new I'm sheet. Doing. Not a, Tanner. Uh, don't no, worry Tanner's about it. Tanner's spreadsheet
0: I got it. master fax boop, knower boop, boop. Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> Google's asking me to sign in. There we go. All right. We can,
3: we can edit this out.
1: No, we don't have to. Leave it have. in. It's all right. Let
3: them have oh. fun. How do, how do you do the At this point, do do it's going to be you a should...
0: less than 1% reduction in the total runtime. So what does it matter?
2: Oh, here we go. I got it.
1: I think I got Everyone it. Everyone likes to know how this sausage is made. Yep. Everyone likes to know how spreadsheets work. There we you go. Guys, you do F X. You click the button and it does all the math for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm.
0: Ah, there you go. All, all right. right. I have a score that I have punched oh. in. Oh,
2: wait. You did it wrong. Hang me? on. He messed up. Yeah, I did. I did. I did mess up. Ref, I didn't put a, a total. I didn't put a total score thing ref, in here. blow the
1: whistle. That's funny because all of this spreadsheet Tweet. says ref right now. Uh-huh. See Tucker's getting be mad because he's like, "Oh, people aren't gonna like this part. Oh, they're gonna click away." Brother, we're in feature length into the into the episode. No, <laughs> true, anybody that true. got this far is not gonna be like, "Oh God, they're messing with the spreadsheet for two more minutes." And I don't want to see the score anymore. They're gonna want to <laughs> see the score. John Tor Dan's. I know you're watching right now.
2: Thank you. Actually, you know what? Let's do it analog. We'll do it analog for this one. We'll hearken back to the old the olden to, to days. To sure.
0: Sean Hannity, yeah. Evan, We'll do it live.
2: We'll do it live (laughs) and you know what this one's on me because I forgot to do an average score thing because that's just magic in the Google Sheet Mm -hmm. that happens for me. I don't even think about it. (laughs) Okay. You ready to to punch that number?
0: Three, two, one, go. Okay, well, I can't do all this math this quickly, Tanner. I got it. I got it. I can do that that. in my head. I'm crunching. Can can you? (laughs) Tanner, you do
1: it on the calculator. You tell me the number, then I'll tell you if I was right.
2: Okay, sounds good. Uh, so why don't we run down the scores here quick before we get an average? Well, the scores, no.
0: the average score is nine point two. That's what we're giving it. Mm-hmm. The numbers going from let's go from the bottom to the top. Abram gave it an eight point one. Tanner gave it a nine point three. I gave it a nine point five, and Tucker gave it a 10.0. So yeah, that's uh that's pretty far up there on the list. I mean we. Really couldn't shut up about this one movie, one so, this uh, <laughs> you know, proof's in the pudding, I guess. hmm Yeah, I'm kind of, and I'm will kind of, remain dang, in that top. Spot. I was going to give it a 9.3, but in our discussion, <laughs> I really, like, warmed up to it even more, so I gave it a
3: 9.5. Good. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff Warms all the dark around, Cackles in my heart, boys. We did it. We've
2: set we've set a bad precedent for the rest of these reviews, doing an hour and a half yeah. on this one. it's true.
3: No, it's not gonna
0: happen. Well, I don't, <laughs> don't know. make. We can it, talk about it. We, It'll happen again. It's not happening again. That's a BLB promise. Which are
2: never we good for We always stick
0: by those.
1: <laughs> Does anybody feel the need for a final thought? No. Wrap it up. Let's get what out of here. Film let
0: these let are these people free. We watching next time. Oh,
2: of course. The next episode of the Quest for the Bestest 2023 Best Picture nominations will be All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm so excited for this one because we already reviewed this movie, except we took. Oh, silly me! We took the movie
0: from 1930. And as I said earlier, I am a huge sucker for silent German movies, and this promises, by the title and the country of origin, to be yet another one of those.
2: It's not silent. Timo, I (laughs) I have bad news for you. It's in color, (laughs) it's got sound. Actually, yeah. I'm okay. All with the that. people associated with it are not dead. <laughs> I'm excited. Unfortunate. And, and, uh-huh. and this is, at least on
1: a numbers basis, maybe the stiffest competition everything ever has for best picture. Yeah, this for nominations, one purely
2: numbers wise, a bunch of nominations, yeah. which
0: we will all talk about next time. We're gonna dive into it. Give as much analysis. Oh, this
2: one's on Netflix, by yeah. the way. In case you don't know,
0: it's on Netflix. Netflix um, was the distributor for it. So I'll just repeat what Tanner mm-hmm. says. All right, we've gone on long enough. We got to finish this before we hit the runtime of the movie that we talk about. That is a cardinal sin uh-huh. of movie podcasting. We can't do that. Uh huh. So until next time, we'll be back with All Quiet on the Western Front from 2023. And uh, until then, Two. peace.